0: What is up, everyone, and welcome into the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike. I'm Mike Johnston from Mike'sLessons.com, and my co-host, who will be joining us shortly, is Mike Dawson, the managing editor of Modern Drummer Magazine. In this week's episode, we're going to talk a ton about independence. Where were we on the drumming timeline when we realized that independence was this thing that needed to be practiced on its own and it needed to have serious attention devoted to it? who were some of our favorite drummers that caused us to realize that independence was required to play musically and to achieve the things that we wanted to do on the drum set. We'll even get into some of the things that we practiced, some of the specific exercises that we did when we were younger to build our independence. We're also gonna talk about a lesson that I wrote for the February issue of Modern Drummer called Odd Groupings Over the Samba. And we're gonna talk about why I wrote it, what I was hoping to achieve, and how it can also help your independence. We'll continue our talk about miking your drums, and this time we're gonna talk about two mic setups, specific mic placement, what mics we would buy if we were on a budget, what mics we would buy if there was no budget, and finally, we'll do a little gear review where Mike Dawson will tell us all about his experience with Keller's new Magnum Shell series. All right, so let's get into episode two. Mr. Dawson, how are you, my friend? I'm doing good. Let's get into our first topic, our main topic today, which is independence, and I think every drummer on earth knows about independence and knows the struggles with independence and this had to tackle that at some point. At some point, there's, you know, a moment where you realize you physically cannot pull off the things that are happening inside your head. The drummer in your head can play things that your drummer body cannot pull off. And independence comes into that, you know. So, you know, with independence, I mean, when did it creep up on you? When did you start to realize that it was a subject that needed kind of specific work? Man, it was
1: day one. My, I got a drum really? set. Really? Yeah, I got a drum set the Christmas. I, was, I guess I was nine years old, and my brother got a guitar the same Christmas. He'd already been playing a little bit, so he could play like, some Ramones songs and stuff. So the first day, I got my drum set out of the box, set it up. He's like, all right, we're going to learn something to do by the Ramones off a of Road to Ruin. He put the record on. We listened to it. He's like, you got to play that. And I was like, cool, I can do that. I can keep time with that. And we played through it a couple times. He goes, okay, that's cool, but you're not using the bass drum. So as soon as cool. I was like, oh, I got to I gotta hit the bass drum at a different time as the <laughs> snare drum? Day
0: one. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Let's let's start oh No, no. I, I choose bass
1: guitar. I'm done with this. I'm done with this. Day one. Yeah, so that was yeah. like, oh, I can't do that right away. Hmm. Now I got to practice something. Oh. So that was it. Day one. It was like, and I would say the majority of my practice from age nine until college was on independence. To get really? better at that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think I think independence can come kind of naturally to some people, or more natural to some people. Seems like I mean, just as a teacher, I've been teaching since I was seventeen. I'm thirty eight now, and a lot of my female students grasp the independence thing much quicker than my male students, especially if they're younger. It just seems like they're naturally geared to multitask. Uh, for me, so not the case. It mm. drove me nuts. First song I had to learn in school band on the drum set. I think was either Louie Louie or Barbaran or one of those. And same type of thing where it was like, you know, playing a basic rock beat with bass drum on one and three was so easy and then just adding one extra bass drum threw everything off. And I didn't understand like, wait a minute, my hands aren't doing anything new. I'm just adding one bass drum, you know, on the and of two and the whole thing falls apart. Yeah. And yeah. you know, but I for me it was it was something that I knew, but I didn't know it was called independence because I was so young and, and my teachers didn't bring that word up. I probably didn't r- realize what independence was until my teens and and start to realize there were people that were great at it and start to realize there were exercises specifically for independence. I mean, I think hmm. independence is involved in everything you play as a drummer because you have four limbs that are all trying to do different things. But I didn't know there were exercises geared towards building your independence until I was in my teens.
1: Hmm. That's cool. I mean, probably for me, it was like middle school when i really said okay i gotta figure how to do this for real and that's right. when i bought a copy of new breed by gary chester and there were many many hours i mean it's definitely throwing sticks against the wall frustration levels i was <laughs> trying to play those three limb ostinatos and then reading with the bass drum over top of it but that book right there has kind of set the whole tone and then it was also uh peter erskine's first video everything is timekeeping yeah he does a a really kind of basic essential jazz coordination chapter in there and that I practiced that every day for for probably a couple years but yeah I don't know why for some reason it was just I knew that independence was what I for me that was what made a good drummer was can I do whatever I want with any limb at any time right that kind of defined everything
0: yeah so so new breed was kind of your first experience with actually sitting down with exercises and practicing this topic, independence.
1: Yeah, deliberately. I mean, I was learning songs, I was learning parts, but to sit down and just practice it, it was new breed for sure.
0: I think anytime you're on a drum set, you're working on your independence, but it's not at the forefront of your mind that that's what you're working on. You might be trying to figure out a groove, or you might be trying to nail a fill. So in your head, that's the main topic, but you know, there's an undercurrent of independence. I know for me, I think it was uh, probably... um, Chapin's book was the first time that I realized wait jazz the jazz ride pattern is an ostinato Um, and it's a two voice ostinato if I bring in my left foot on two and four and it's a three voice ostinato if my bass drum is feathering quarter notes and now I have to have the independence with my left hand to play all these different syncopated rhythms and that that was the first time that I started Hear it Like, you know, I was reading Modern Drummer as a kid, and all of a sudden that word independence started creeping up. I was like, this is what they're talking about, you know. Um, and like I said, I was a teenager, so drums weren't that... I wasn't that serious about drums until I was a late teenager. You know, when I was 11, it was just one of the things I did, along with skateboarding and racing BMX bikes and stuff. So it wasn't like at 11 I was obsessing over drums. And then all of a sudden when I got into Chapin's book, and then eventually uh, when... Uh, uh the uh what is it? Uh not beyond Bop what what's uh John Riley's first one? The Art of Bop drumming? Yeah, Art of Bop Drumming. Or not his first one, but the Art of Bop drumming. Yeah. That was the the one where I was like, okay, I'm in trouble. We have some problems here. <laughs> right. Uh, so
1: Yeah, we well, you know thinking about it, I got into independence study when I really got into jazz music. It was probably hand in hand. Because right. jazz required yeah. so much independence I was naturally drawn to it. And I'll probably drawn to independence because I was into sports and I was also into math. So it was like a a way to combine the two things. It was a physical, can I get my body to do this weird thing? And then can I count four over three at the same time? Yeah.
0: And I think, you know, independence also gives you that sense of accomplishment because you sit out on the drum set and you can't do something. And if you stay there long enough, eventually there, unlike feel, there is the sense of accomplishment. Like, no, I'm doing this. This is actually happening right now. I win, you know, I get to yeah. go on to the next exercise. And I, so I think working on your independence gives you that immediate gratification and that sense of accomplishment that not a lot of things in art can give you.
1: Yeah, and it's one of those rare things where once you learn it, you kind of can't unlearn it.
0: Totally you, true. There's so few things that I can go back to that I was doing, you know, when I was really independent or into independence that I can't do now. I, yeah. I, you know, it may take me a couple measures to work it back up, but it's there, you know. And it leads to so much other things. I mean, that's why when I teach students, if we're working on jazz and I can tell they're just not into jazz, I can just tell them, stop thinking of this as jazz. It's just hard to do. It's just independence. You know, it's Mm -hmm. a triplet-based independence exercise if you want to call it that instead of, you know, the art of bop drumming or whatever. So, right. Now, do you have people that like you look up to or you get inspiration from when it comes to independence?
1: Yeah, it's kind of the same thing. It was, for me, it was all about being more musical independence meant musical freedom so i was rather than being drawn to the super drummers who had huge kits and pedals everywhere i love to hear bill stewart play a four-piece kit and be completely yeah. free with his left foot or antonio sanchez and have you know jam blocks and cowbells with his feet but he's using them in a melodic way it's not a rhythmic way it's it's a melodic way so those guys and and gavin harrison might be the the most musical kind of Prague drummer to me me, and his independence is is all about music it's not it's not a physical act he's expressing some kind of an idea so those three guys probably really Antonio and Bill Stewart are like the two guys like I want to be that I want to be able to do that I want to be able to play melodies with my hands and feet freely yeah
0: I think you know that that one do you know what year was what modern drummer festival was it where Bill Stewart it was Bill Stewart Horacio Hernandez Tony Royster uh,
1: yeah I bought that uh I don't I want to say 98 but I could be wrong
0: yeah I, but that that really brought a lot of people you know into the public spotlight as far as when I saw Bill Stewart play I was like okay I may not be the biggest jazz fan in the world but I could listen to that cat play drums all day long um, and then you know the independence of Horacio Hernandez I mean he kind of in the Modern Drummer Festival brought us the whole left foot clave thing. And Virgil Donati was on that festival, too. So there's another independence wizard. But for me, I think my favorite person when I'm looking at independence is still Will Kennedy. And mainly it's his independence of the pulse. You know, the pulse is what – that's almost like his ostinato, keeping a pulse that – you can always feel a pulse in him, whatever he's playing. And no matter what he adds to it, that pulse never goes away. And that's a, a slightly different type of independence. But it, it really, it always spoke to me, you know?
1: Yeah, you know, I don't really know. I mean, I listen to a lot of his stuff, but I can't say that I'm completely hip to him. So I got to check him out a little bit more.
0: Yeah, he's a, he's an interesting dude. Cause I mean, like, you know, I really fell in love with him more from what he did with Bobby McFerrin on the Bang Zoom record. Then I did the Yellow Jackets. My teacher at the time, Matt McLean, was trying to hit me to Will uh, and Terry Lynn Carrington and other cats that he was into. And I listened to the Yellow Jackets, and I was like, eh, I skateboard. You know, I'm into, like, rock. And I'm like, eh, this isn't my jam. I don't know what that, like, kind of fake, you know, clarinet thing is. Like, I right. it, this isn't for me. And then, uh, you know, which I did. I, I mean, I totally fell in love with the Yellow Jackets music later. But at the time, I was like, eh but I was a huge Bobby McFerrin fan and he played on the Bang Zoom album and I think uh, so did the bass player from the Yellow Jackets and it was just, you know, th- the musicality was unreal but it was all based around a pulse so I I learned right away when I was trying to play along to that Bobby McFerrin album that I didn't have the independence it took to be that musical and uh, I think sometimes when people hear the word independence they're immediately thinking Thomas Lang, Virgil Donati, Marco Miniman and they're not realizing that Independence is what's giving you the freedom to be as musical and tasteful and soulful as you want. Right. Yeah, that's the so. key. Do you have any favorite independence exercises that you work on or you did work on?
1: You know, I had one that I worked on a ton when I was younger. I don't know if I could do it anymore. It would it would be taking eighth note triplet in one limb, eighth notes in the, in the other limb. So the right hand, okay. eighth note triplets, the left hand, eighth notes. So, yeah. so two over three polyrhythm. And then playing a halftime version of that in the feet so quarter note is with the right foot quarter notes with the left foot so you do that and then you like a clock you just you just rotate everything to the right so the so the right hand part moves down to the right foot the right foot part moves to the left foot you just keep rotating until you get back full circle
0: this break is brought to you by Aquarian Drumheads. <laughs> while i go to my drum set and try to practice that we'll be back in five minutes that is awesome we'll talk when this podcast is over and uh we'll uh, and you can send me the pdf in the show notes.
1: Yeah, I don't know who who taught me that, but it was that was my my challenge probably from the age 13 to 16 to be able to do that just a switch nice. on a on a on a dime.
0: I've been having my students go through uh they're playing 16th notes um, between the floor tom and the kick drum. So the floor tom is playing eighth notes, kick drum is playing the e's and the a's. Left foot could play anything as long as it's consistent and not syncopated. It could be Quarter notes, it could be upbeats, it could be eighth notes as splash close or as close splash. So those, that's the three-way ostinato, and then the left hand cycles through groupings of two, three, four, five, six, seven, and eight, and then back down. So you're playing, you know, every two sixteenth notes. So you're playing, your left hand's playing eighth notes, and then it starts playing every third sixteenth note: one mm. e and a two e and a three e and a, then the four, then the five: one e and a two e and a three e and a four e and a one e and a two. And you go through that up and down, and then you just keep trying to make the left foot part harder. So eventually you start bringing in, you know, maybe a 3-8 part with the left foot. So it's like splash, close, close, splash, close, close, splash, close, close, while still doing that same cycle.
1: Cool. Where does that go? What is the end result?
0: I think the end result is being able to actually kind of improvise with the left hand while playing between your floor tom and your kick. So you can have this kind of almost fake or pseudo double bass thing happening between floor and kick, and the left hand's going, get, 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 get. so um, you know, and it just can introduce people to like what it's like to have all four limbs going at the same time, but trying to get three of them on autopilot. So it's like, okay, you three are set. I'm not talking to you anymore, and now I'm just going to focus on this left hand, you know, playing through this cycle.
1: Speaking of independence, you wrote uh, an article in the February issue. Odd groupings over the samba. You know, what were you thinking? What was the the premise behind the piece? Well, I think
0: sometimes, I, I guess I just wanted people to have freedom over any type of foot ostinato, and the samba is probably one of the easiest ostinatos out there when it comes to world grooves because it's so short. You know, if you feel it as sixteenth notes, naturally, it's, it's or normally it's kind of felt as. Eighth notes, one, two, and three, four, and one. But if you feel the sixteenth notes, one E and a two E and a three E and a four, the length of the samba ostano is only one beat. It repeats every downbeat. Where if you go to tumbao it's twice as long. It's one, a two, and one, a two, and if you go to bio, one, two, and three, or one, and a two, and one, and a two, and so bio and tumbao are twice as long. So samba is kind of an easy one to start with, and then. For, you know, when people start with any new ostinato at all, a lot of times they do what I call like around-the-world fills where they play four hits per drum. They go... Right. And you get kind of stuck in that. You don't know how to break that up. And so odd groupings allow you to start having, you know, these kind of cool phrases over the top of that, which is building your independence. But I think most importantly, I wanted people to sit down and get their feet going, going... doom, doom, doom and then think okay all i have to do is play right left left as 16th notes that's nothing it's so easy and then the second they try it, it all falls apart and that's when the alarm goes off like oh crap i've got a this is not what i thought you know so it wasn't like meant to be a gotcha exercise but there definitely is an element of like So you really feel like you have full independence over the Samba? Oh, yeah, man, I can do double strokes and paradiddles. And it's like, all right, let's go to odd groupings. Let's do things that don't fall on the beat. And then immediately that alarm goes off like, wow, I've got some work to do.
1: So what would be the prerequisites before you dive into odd groupings over the Samba? I think definitely your basic
0: sticking patterns. Um, With this, you don't really need to work too much on syncopation because... Even though we're doing odd groupings, the subdivision is consistent. It's always sixteenth notes. Um, but the, I think the prerequisite would just be your basic basic subdivisions: quarter notes, eighth notes, sixteenth notes, and then some basic sticking, double strokes as 16ths, single paradiddles sixteenths. You know, and more than anything, just time. You you have to sit there with your feet going. Doom, chick doom doom, chick doom doom long enough that you can start to think about did you do laundry today? Did you are you hungry? Once you do that, that means your your brain has memorized the motor function it takes to play this thing with your feet. And now you can start thinking about, you know, one e a uh, two e and a uh, three e and a. Uh. And the other thing that I wanted people to know too was when I would have students try to work on, say, groupings of five, um, Uh, as 16th notes, maybe right, left, right, left, left, one E and a two E and a three E and a four E and a, they'd always go over the bar and get lost. And I I wanted them to know, stop going over the bar, just put the whole thing in five and then it repeats every five beats. You don't have to wait five whole bars of four, four. You can just feel it as one E and a two E and a three E and a four E and a five E and a one E and a two E and a three E and so whatever the grouping is, That's what the time signature is. If it's three, it's one E and a, two E and a, three E and a, one E and a, two E. If it's seven, it's seven. One E and a, two E and a, three E and a, four E and a, five E and a, six E and a, seven E and a. I can't say seven E and a, seven E and a. So that's kind of, I think that was a part of it too, is getting people to realize the correlation between groupings and time signatures.
1: Right. So then where do you take it? You master the, because everything in the article is just on the snare drum.
0: Yeah, obviously, I think moving the right hand around the kit and keeping the left hand on the snare. So you have this kind of what I would call the broth of the soup, the ghost notes that are filling in everything. And then, you know, your meat and potatoes and vegetables are on the toms. And so, and mixing the subdivisions, which is in the article where you start, or I'm sorry, mixing the groupings. And you start to have that kind of one, two, three, one, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, one, two, three, one, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, all the time while you have this nice little undercurrent of doom shut, doom shut the doom shut the doom shut the doom with your feet the most important thing is these are the types of lessons that get you to start exploring the drum set my my goal for all of these is i don't want to be the destination i want to be the launch ramp i want you to come back to me and say hey i was working on your lesson and it triggered this and it's like sweet then we grew the whole concept you know
1: yeah do you find these things pop out in your plane naturally after you work on them oh absolutely i i
0: there's nothing that's shown up in my improvisational drumming more than odd groupings, you know, uh, especially odd groupings tied to even groupings. I think uh, that concept to me came from Kim Plainfield's book. I think it's just called Advanced Concepts, actually. Um, and that's all it is. It's an entire book of random advanced concepts. So um, but when he was doing his Hertz section... He'd always kind of end the phrase with plus two, and I was like, "Oh, I don't have to wait for it to loop twenty bars from now. I can just add, you know, a right left at the end." And um, so, so for me, yeah, once I started doing the threes, fives, and sevens, then it was then it became okay. Well, I can do three plus four, which is a seven, but I don't want to feel it as a giant you know a uh, grouping of seven i want to feel it as one two three one two three four one two three one two three four one two three one two three four and you know or instead of a five it was more like one two three one two and so you could do lots of cool things like that and that definitely shows up in my plane i mean do you use any do you notice yourself playing odd groupings at all uh,
1: not really i mean that's i don't really play uh, i mean almost everything i do these days is is straight up the middle four four um uh, very rarely do I get a chance to solo or improvise in most situations. But yeah, I would think that the reason I asked was the biggest trouble I've always had is, is making that shift from here's the exercise. Here's me consciously choosing how to orchestrate it move it around the kit. Now here, let me just play and have it come out. And then the, is it, the question is, is it muscle memory or do you consciously or subconsciously say, oh, I want to play some fives here?
0: I think it comes from two things. I mean, I think it comes from either the people that you already enjoy and you already listen to. When you learn something new, maybe it kind of um, reverse engineers something you've heard before. So all of a sudden you go, oh, okay. So that thing that Benny Greb always does, those are odd groupings. Well, I like that. I always wished I could do it. I just didn't know what the heck it was. Um, but then it, on the opposite side, if I have like a student who just loves ACDC, odd groupings are never really going to click for his kind of desires or her desires just because that's not what they're into. So I think it depends a little bit on that, but definitely when it comes to me practicing anything, I know that I've got a good five to six months after I've kind of, you know, in my own mind kind of mastered it. It's like five to six months before it'll ever show up naturally.
1: Now, do you identify it on the spot or is it, does it flow out and you're like, Whoa, I just did that. Or do you think about it?
0: go back to any of my videos and just wait for my eyes to get really big and that means like what the hell it finally worked it finally happened (laughs) yeah it's it's uh it definitely when it shows up i'm like you gotta be kidding me but i never ever predetermine that something's about to happen like i never say okay four bars from now those odd groupings over the samba are coming in no matter what's happening you know i never think like that
1: so could it potentially Um, be dangerous
0: oh definitely yeah if you don't I mean, that's probably why people, you know, get fired is they start practicing on the gig, you know, Um, and they're like, well, I put so much time into this. I'm getting use out of it. And that's just a horrible way to think. You know, I try I mean, I don't stop practicing until the practice turns into singing once the odd groupings go away from the math and go away from everything else and my feet are just playing doom shut the doom and then i start singing gat get gat to gat gat to get to get to get to then i know okay now it's become something musical in my head and it's not rights and lefts it's not landing on the E's it's none of that stuff it's just a sound and then you know I wait you know if I'm playing like say a pickup gig in Sacramento we don't have a ton of authentic Brazilian musicians but let's say I'm playing a pickup gig that does have some samba or some bassa in it and I start hearing like that you know say the accompanying guitar part is playing a partido alto rhythm and he's going bop bop got ga, 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 ga." well I know where all those placements are because those placements happen inside of areas of odd grouping that first two notes he plays is part of a five. One, two, three, four, five. So that's, it, it kind of shows up subconsciously. But yeah, it can be dangerous if you just decide, I put in the time, so it's happening tonight, no matter what. <laughs> that's a bad way to
1: go. So would you also practice this article over other Brazilian ostinatos? Maybe the two beat Bayon or something like that?
0: Yeah, you could definitely do it over bio. Um You could do it over anything. I think usually for my students, we go Brazil, Cuba, Brazil. So we do samba when they get comfortable with that then we go over to cuba and do tumbao and then when they get comfortable with that then we go back to bayon but um and the other thing i want my students to do is invent ostinatos you know try two three rumba clave with the left foot while the right foot's playing tumbao um in you know completely invent new ones and uh uh you know weckl did one in his uh whatever his second dvd series was the evolution stuff and um kind of like the the practicing videos and he was just doing left foot um he was doing left right right with his feet and he was so free over it and it was just going butter to butter to butter to butter and it was so he wasn't like having to play in triplets over it. he could play anything over it so you can invent ostinatos you know So now we're going to kind of continue off of what we talked about last time, which last time we talked about the one mic setup and just being able to record your drums with a single microphone and get some good sounds, really so you can hear them back or you could share ideas with other people. So today we're going to talk about the two mic setup, which we also talked about a little bit in uh, last week's podcast, but we'll talk about it more now. The two mic setup generally is going to be an overhead to get the entire drum set and then the kick drum mic to get some low end I think the two mic setup might be one of the best setups there is. If you don't know what you're doing, it it, it just gives you everything you need. The overhead's going to give you the attack of the you know of the drums, and you're going to hear everything. And because it's a, usually a large diaphragm condenser mic, you're going to get the snap of the snare and the sizzle of the cymbals. And then you have the kick drum mic that gives you that low end thump. But there's a lot of variables with mic placement. There's a lot of variables. Definitely with the, what mics you choose and, and what you can afford and what your budget is. So let's talk about that a little bit. I know for me, when I'm dealing with a two mic setup, it's, it's overhead and kick drum and The closer I get them overhead to the drum set, the more in your face the drums are and the smaller the room sounds. And the higher I get the mic stand and and the further I get away from it, the more distant it is. And it sounds a little bit bigger, almost gets a little bit, of it gets more of the room. And what are your experiences? I mean, you have a home studio, so what do you do for your two mic setup? And are those the two mics you use, overhead and kick, or do you use something different?
1: It totally depends. If I'm going for more of a jazz vibe, I'll actually do two room mics. I put it out maybe four to six feet in front of the kit, and I, I like the ORTF setup, which has the mics, a match pair of mics, I think it's seventeen centimeters apart, and then at one hundred and ten. It basically is trying to mimic your your ears, how they're placed in your head. So you can google it, you can get a diagram. I actually printed it out and I use that as my gauge to get the mic angles and everything.
0: And for people that don't know what a match set is, are you talking about when the two mics are made at the same time in the factory together?
1: Ideally, but you know these. Or days, do you just
0: mean match like the exact same microphones? Yeah, just
1: the same mic. I mean, you can okay. get a matched pair that it'll have you know the, no phasing problems at all or any of that. But I mean, 2 sm SN57s are going to be fine. Whatever, whatever you can get. But yeah, that if I'm doing a jazzy or something where I don't need a lot of up close detail, maybe I'm over like I just overdubbed a marching snare drum part to a song over the weekend and I had you know a big field drum and two mics five feet away. I didn't I didn't want it on on top of the drum I wanted it to sound like I was in a concert hall
0: Sure Wow
1: So that would be For that type of uh, Or like hand drums Anything where I want Some distance um, If I'm going to If I want some More detail I'll do the same I'll do a mono overhead And then a, a bass drum mic uh, But where you put That mono overhead Makes a huge difference um, You can go as low As eye level And get a real Punchy sound Or you can even go More like a room mic Maybe a, you know, six feet off the ground and a couple of feet in front of the kit. Maybe even angled at like a forty-five degree angle to get a little bit more ambience. But then having that bass drum mic for the for the punch.
0: And then, do you? I mean, I, since you have like the whole modern drummer thing, do you have a modern drummer set of microphones, or do you have your own personal microphones that are like the like Mike Dawson bought these and these are my mics?
1: Yeah, it's been a growing collection, probably. Uh, I mean, when I do the Modern Drummer stuff, we have like a set of Shure mics that they, they donated for us to use almost exclusively. So I use Shure KSM-32s for the overheads, SM-57 on the snare, bass drum. Uh, we talked about it last time. I didn't look up the model. It's the, the boundary mic, the Beta 92 or something. 92, like that. yeah. Okay. Not the one that goes inside. Not not the football-looking one, the one that's flat. Yeah, yeah. The
0: yeah. I, I call it the pyramid mic, but... Yeah
1: yeah but for two mics and if it's my session i would actually go with the uh, akg d12 vr on the bass drum okay that is a a killer microphone you can have it outside the drum for like a jazzy boomier sound or you can put it right on the hole get more punch it has filters that you can engage
0: so this is not the classic d112 what does the vr stand it's for? a
1: it's a vintage reissue is what they call it oh okay but it can be switched from dynamic mode to condenser. It has a vintage filter, a a open head filter, a padded drum filter. It's a really versatile mic.
0: Okay. So that's a professional bass drum microphone.
1: Yeah. That's, that was like the, once I've got that mic, I'm like, all right, I'm done with (laughs) game over. Yeah. (laughs) Nice. So I actually combine that with the shore inside the drum. And then I use a sub. My bass drums are mic three with three mics. Oh, wow. Yeah.
0: But so that, when you're doing the two mic thing, that's is that your primary bass drum mic, the D112 VR?
1: If I'm going to do two mics, it definitely because I can get, I can get everything I need out of that. The mic that's inside the drum is almost all attack. Yeah, and, sure. And the sub does, it just gives you a sub. So you have to do the d 12 VR and then overhead a, a large diaphragm condenser, whatever you can afford.
0: Right. When it comes to saving money, I, really, guys. Just so you know, like you really can get like. A decent sound out of a two-mic setup for you know in the two hundred dollar range to to maybe three hundred dollars, depending on what's on sale. Um, my kind of suggested under two hundred dollar thing for my students is, and we talked about this a little bit I think last time, which is the MXL V two hundred and fifty. I'm not an MXL guy. I, I if you look at my kit on YouTube, you won't see a single MXL guy. So the, or MXL mic. So it's not my thing, but that mic is just. It's it can handle drums for some reason. It's it's large diaphragm. Um, they say it's a ribbon mic, um, but it's a large diaphragm mic, and it it just sounds good over drums. But the reason why I always recommend it is it's a two hundred dollar to or maybe it's two ninety nine, but it's always on sale on Musicians Friend and on uh, Sweetwater for like forty nine ninety nine. You just have to wait for the deal, and then I would definitely recommend uh, the Shure PG fifty two as a budget budget bass drum microphone. Um, so that's under. There's the Beta series, and then underneath that is the PG series. And the Sure PG52, you know, is about the same size as the Beta 52, and it just sounds decent. But with those two mics, and and that microphone, I think is 118 dollars on Sweetwater and MF. And that mic, it just sounds like a bass drum mic. But with those two mics, at least you can hear everything. Now, as far as kick placement, a lot of people probably see a lot of things on stage and they just think that's the way to go, you need to understand that kick placement has a purpose. So if you know what that purpose is, then you can get the sound you want. The closer you get to the drum head, to the batter head, the more attack you're gonna get. So you start putting that bass drum mic inside your kick with a little you know, kick drum boom stand and you get closer and closer and you get more attack, more click and, and all that clarity that you want. And then as you back it away and get closer to the hole, you start to get all the low-end frequencies and the woof. And then eventually, if you get outside of the bass drum, that's going to be the warmest tone you can get. So don't think that it has to be a certain way just because you saw it on stage or you saw it in a video that way. Make sure you play around with the placement. I mean, I, I can't stress how important, when it comes to miking and EQing, experimentation is.
1: Yeah, for sure. I, I've probably been, and every room's different. I've been in my studio for six years, and I'm just now like, I know what my room sounds like. I know every, I know exactly where to put a bike and where not to put a bike. And it took me a while to find where to put the drum set. I found the spot with the most low end. I just walked around hitting a floor Tom. And once I found that spot, I'm like, all right, the kit's going here. It's too bad. It's in the middle of the room, but that's where it's going. Trust me,
0: man here, here at our facility. I'm like, why did I build a stage before I tested anything out? Like I have a stage, I have cameras wired into the walls and it's like, it's like the trap of all good frequencies is where I put my kit. And and I'll just move, you know, I'll be kind of tuning drums in the middle of the room, and I'll hit my floor tom, and I'm like, oh, oh, that's perfect. Why didn't I just set up here? I'll just set up in in the middle of the campers. Yep. can just all huddle around.
1: I will. Okay, so,
0: so I have a question for you. Since, you know, my gear, especially my microphones, my microphones are chosen because of my student base And I know they're going to see me on camera. I know they're going to ask what I'm using. So I've actually stayed away from expensive microphones because I don't want them to attribute my drum sound to cost. I don't want them to think, well, you know, his Gretsch sounds like that because he's got a $10,000 set of mics. So I have very affordable mics. Um, You know, I'm using Shure SM57 on the snare, Audix D6 on the kick, um, some inexpensive Shure mics on my toms. And then for my overhead and room mics I'm using the uh, AKG C214 so do you have experience with the expensive mics and if so if you had no budget at all is there something that you would would be your dream two mic setup
1: if I only had two mics to work with forever I would I would not go too surprising I think I would still pick the Shure KSM32 because it's, it's transparent it's clean it gets exactly what you put into it is what it reproduces um, and, and depending on what I'm doing, I might just say, get a pair of those and call it a day. Cause you can put one of those on the front of the bass drum and it sounds great. You can't put it inside the drum. You might blow out the capsule, but anything except for like really sharp attack, it can handle. And then, then you have that, you can use it for overheads. When you upgrade, you can use it for room mics. You could, they sound great on toms. Um, uh, but they're, they're, they're not cheap. They're not super expensive. Probably like a thousand bucks a mic, but the last i mean that's that's it you won't need any more after those two so yeah, i would say just two large diaphragm condensers would be my starting point
0: For this setup I use the MXL V250 condenser mic as my overhead, I've got it about 4 feet above the drum set, right in the middle of the kit, right in between my rack tom and my ride cymbal. For the bass drum I use the Audix D6 mic, I've got it inside the bass drum at about the halfway point and it's pointed right at the beater so I can get a lot of clarity and attack. get into uh the gear review section what were you reviewing in the uh february issue of modern drama
1: well i had a a unique experience keller shells contacted me and they had just put out a brand new shell type that they're calling magnum which basically it means they they increase the thickness of each individual ply so they can use fewer plies and have the same thickness shell as as a normal ply shell So that means less glue, more wood, closer to a solid shell construction. I thought it was going to mean louder, more snappier, more aggressive sounding drums. What it turned out to mean was just bigger, fatter, warmer, better sounding drums. What I did was I sent them down to, uh, there's a custom shop in Philly that I've I've gotten to know. They're MCD Percussion. They're very experienced with Keller shells as well as solid shells. So I knew that they would have a good a good flat line for how these compare. And they even, when I sent them to them, the first thing he said was "Oh, these, these shells have a lot of tone. These are going to be, you know, very, very musical sounding drums. And they were, they built the drums out and, and they just knocked me away. It's close to the best recorded drum sound. I think I've ever personally produced. And you're gigging with that kit right now, right? It doesn't leave my studio. Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's my primary <laughs> recording kit. I, I paid for them. Okay, to build so you them.
0: recorded it because I saw a picture on Facebook of you using
1: that kit. Yeah, exactly. I, I've been tracking with it. I have I have that kit and I have this exact same size kit in a mahogany version that I bought okay. from RBH Drums. So between those two kits, it's like the MCD handles all the modern, contemporary sounds, and the RBH handles all the the fat, warm, vintagey sounds. I could get rid of everything else, to be perfectly wow. honest between those two kits.
0: Now, when with Keller and those shells, is that offered, for those of you guys that don't know, Keller shells, that's a company that makes drum shells and you'd actually be quite surprised at how many companies they make drums for. Um, they've actually handled the shell making process for Gretsch for a very long time and so when you're playing a Gretsch drum it's not that you're playing a Keller drum Keller makes Gretsch's recipe for them because not a lot of people have their own shell manufacturing process Um, not everybody can make their own shells but I mean Keller does a ton of stuff I know that uh, I I talked uh, I think it was somebody at SJC where they're actually going to start making their own shells but they've always been Keller shells you know all, all the custom companies it's the easiest way to go they make a ton of shells they do a great job so now with the Magnum, can that be? Can these custom shops just say, "Hey, we want to order, you know, ten kits in the Magnum shells"? Or oh, how, yeah. how does it work for the? Um, how does it work for the companies and the customers?
1: Anyone could buy them. It's just a, it's a catalog item for them. They offer their standard shells, their vintage style shells, and the Magnum shells. And, and their reports back and say they've been they've been selling like crazy. Now what you said that they were going to use less plies, less glue. What?
0: How many plies is this shell?
1: It is. I'm looking at a picture. It's a seven ply magnum shell. Is the same, is the same overall thickness as an eight ply of their standard shells. Okay, bearing edges. Uh, that's whatever you want. They, they can cut them okay. for you, but I, I had MCD just do their whatever they think would sound best.
0: Okay, got it. So, so they 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 ship them with uncut bearing edges unless you want unless you ask for them to be done.
1: Yeah, completely raw. Basically, I mean it, the reason we did the review is if if you're in the market to have a kit your dream kit built, you might not have known you can actually order the shells that you want as well. You don't have to just go with whatever the company wants to make. You can say, "Hey, can you get these Keller Magnum shells and make a kit out of that?" And they'll do it because they're going to they're going to chances are they're going to be ordering from Keller for whatever they use anyway, unless they make their own.
0: Well, let's wrap this thing up and get to our picks of the week. So, everybody, pick of the week is just something simple that Mike and I want to alert you to. It's something that shows up in our lives. It's either meaningful to us in some way or another or we think it will be meaningful to you. It could be anything. It could be a song. It could be a video. It could be a product. Uh, So, my pick of the week is an app, and the app is called Mimi Copy, M-I-M-I-C-O-P-Y, Mimi Copy. Not totally sure if it's available uh, for Android, but it's just a slow down app and those are becoming more and more common, but it's a very good slow down app. And so you're able to load any song from your device, from your iPad or your iPhone into Mimi Copy. And then obviously you can slow it down and it doesn't change the pitch at all, which is really cool. And the most important thing is it has a loop feature. So you set an in point and an out point and you decide how slow or fast you want to play it. And you kind of work your way up to the groove you're working on. And that can be really cool. The other thing I found it really useful for was not for learning drum parts. It was for putting, since it doesn't change the pitch, when you're writing a song with the band, one of the hardest things to figure out is what tempo does this song really groove at. And I remember when I was, I was working on, uh, uh, trying to get the feel right for uh, Beautiful by Christina Aguilera. My friend Tommy Ricard recorded uh, the drums with Linda Perry for that track. And it has this kind of Beatles swing on the drum part, even though the song doesn't really swing that hard. And then all of a sudden I was like, I wonder what this would sound like at 130 percent, you know, so 30 percent more uh, speed. And I was thinking that it would do the chipmunk thing. And I forgot that it doesn't Change the pitch at all, and all of a sudden it was a pop tune. And I got to hear this song, and I was like, "Dude, this is a killer up tempo pop tune." And then I was able to take other up tempo pop tunes and hear them as ballads. And I thought, "What a killer songwriting tool this is to record the song with your band and then just find that perfect tempo." So,
1: well, my pick is is a set of earplugs. I've been on a quest for uh, probably fifteen years to find the best earplugs that don't make me sound like feel like I'm underwater. And I found a set at Summer NAM a couple years ago, a company called Ear Racer, E-A-R-A-S-E-R, earplugs. It's a company made by hearing aid uh, specialists, and it just subtracts all the, all the damaging frequencies, but, but doesn't kill all the high end. So it, it feels like just uh, the whole world just goes down by like 19 dB. remains clear and i use them on every gig i've tried every other company hoping they would beat them but these are still the ones Uh, and i think they might be 40 bucks definitely cheaper than going and getting the custom molds done
0: i remember these uh i mean every year at nam there's always one company that bites the bullet and gives away earplugs this year i can't remember the name but like dubs maybe dubs which
1: are okay but they seem to be a little heavy I think they were just more
0: fashionably cool at Nam, like because they they visually look a certain way. But yeah, I I still have my erasers that I got, like you said, two years ago or whatever at Nam. And uh, yeah, the the good thing about great, you know, fidelity earplugs is when you put them in, you're not supposed to go deaf immediately. They're supposed to block. You know certain things, but just bring it down a little bit. You know, because we already have foam earplugs. You can always put in foam earplugs and block 30 decibels of everything, and just sound kind of like you're in the, you know, <laughs> like you're underwater, yeah. like you said. But yeah, these are really cool, man. If especially if you want to keep hearing the things you want to hear, but block out some of the damaging stuff, they're very cool.
1: Yeah, and they they also take out some of the harshness of the cymbals where you're sitting. So just even if you're playing not a loud gig, but you just the cymbals are kind of hitting you the wrong way pop these in and it's it's great perfect
0: yeah they're uh, on their website on erasers.net um they're they've got like a 49.99 price tag but i don't know if that's sale price or just whatever so cool man well uh now people have something to slow down their music with and they've got hearing protection i think our i think our work is done <laughs> that's it <laughs> all right well everybody thank you guys so much for checking out the modern Journal podcast with mike and mike this is something that we're doing just cuz we thought it needed to be done and and we love drum we love talking about drums we know you guys like hearing about drums and more importantly we want to make your drive to and from work or your time at the gym just a little a little bit more enjoyable and make you feel in the loop. You know, Sometimes you just need to hear some drummers talk so that you start to get the lingo down and you start to hear about the players. And you're like, man, I've heard that cat's name like four or five times now. Maybe I should check that drummer out. And so we want to be able to bring that to you. So everybody have an amazing day. Go to your kit and practice, and we will see you guys next time.